today we're continuing our series called Kingdom Culture, looking at several different themes in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians to see how the church is supposed to model the kingdom of God. That's why it's called Kingdom Culture is the name of our series. And what I love about this series is that we get to contrast the, the kingdom culture from the culture that we live in, right? The, the one that we live in is, is completely opposite of what the kingdom is. And we get to sit here and be like, how, how can I build a kingdom culture and push against the culture that I currently live in? Like, how can I, how can I stand out? How can I subvert the culture that we're in for the kingdom? And today's topic is, in my opinion, a particularly difficult one, and that is submission. Building a kingdom, a culture of submission. If you've been here at all for this series, you know that Corinth uh, history, a little background, it was a port city, uh, the intersection of trade routes. So in the, in the ancient Near East, all trade that happened went through Corinth. Like that was, you had to go through there to get anywhere. Um, and so all the people were here. This was the pit stop on the, on the journey to have a good time. You know, they're like, oh, all these sailors, all these merchants, all these people are here. Let's, let's give them a good time. Take a load off, you know, and enjoy, like rest from your journey. Um, and so they were very wealthy. Like the, the people of Corinth, their economy was booming, you know, because all the people are coming through, very wealthy. Uh, they had all forms of entertainment and vices and leisure for people to engage in. They're like, here, please indulge in all of these things. Um, and there's even evidence of this being a good place for Roman soldiers to retire because they were like, that's the place that I want to go when I'm done. Like, I want to I wanna kick back and chill and have all of these things that I can have. And so that's where they would go. This was the place to indulge. An example of this, one of those places in Corinth was the Acrocorinth, a temple to the Greek goddess of sex, Aphrodite. It was on top of this, this mountain here in, in the city, and you'd climb up on top of the mountain, and on top was this temple. And there was a thousand priestesses at this temple, and what you would do is you'd go up, you'd pay money, you'd pay your tribute, and then you would go, uh, you'd go worship with the priestesses. Do with that what you will. Religious prostitution is basically what was happening at this temple. It was like, hey, let's just throw religion on the things that we want to do, on the, the, the things that we want to indulge as the fleshly desires that we have. And so while it's easy for us to look at the church in Corinth, to see the church that Paul is addressing to and, and say, like, man, like, they're messed up. Like, how did they get so messed up? Like, the apostle Paul that we read about, that, that, we, that he wrote so much of scripture, they, he planted this church. Why are they so messed up? And so I think it's really easy for us to do that. But we have to realize that this is a church of people. Like these are real people with real backgrounds. And a lot of them, had, they had various religious backgrounds that may consist of idol worship, sacrifices, orgies, prostitution, whatever is in their background. All right, the church at this time doesn't really have any scriptures to read and live by that they're, that they're going through. They're, it's just on the word of Paul. And not only that, but they're in a place that indulges in everything fleshly everything. And so we have to remember that when Paul shows up and he says, hey, give your lives to Jesus. There's freedom in Jesus. And then he leaves. There's bound to be some issues and some questions and some problems that come up. You're, you're going to hear a lot of, well, I used to do this. Is that okay still? Like, can we still participate in the city fun? 
Can, can, like, how much can I do? Like, we ask that question a lot. We're always like, how much can I do without, without going to hell? You know, like, like at, what point, at what point does God draw the line? You know, like, we love to ask that question of like, how much can I do? And how much, how much can I get away with? Like, that's what the Corinthians were asking, except they had no scriptures and they had no Paul. And so they quickly answered those questions for themselves. And were like, well, I can do this much. This is what I can do. This is what I can do. And they would come up with their own justifications for that. That's the occasion for this letter. That's what Paul is writing to. He receives a letter from a gal named Chloe about what's going on and a letter from the church itself with some of these questions that they're asking. He's like, uh-oh, whoops, that's not good. Like, I better, I better address this. This is not what I wanted to happen. This is not what I meant to happen here. So I better address it. And so in our text today, over the span of multiple chapters, uh, we're going to see Paul addressing specifically this problem of indulging in all of the vices of Corinth. Um, and so don't worry, we're not going to read all of, like, you know, we're not going to read every word of chapters 6 through 11. I'll spare you that. Uh, we are, we're just going to skip across. We're going to go like a little skipping rock and just go across all of it, okay? So let's dive in. Chapter 6, verse 12. Paul's writing, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. That's the big point today. You may have the right to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. You may have the freedom to do whatever it is that you want to do, but not everything is beneficial. This might be one of my favorite verses in, in all of scriptures simply because of how real it is. Like, we love doing whatever we want, but not everything's beneficial. Like, let's just be real. Like, that's just such a real verse for me. Uh, we believe this in every other scenario of life, okay? Like, example, I can eat all of my Halloween candy in one night. Is that beneficial? We will all encourage our kids, do not do that. It's not a good idea. You will not enjoy the way your stomach feels afterwards, okay? It will not be good, okay? Another example, I can eat two rounds of Thanksgiving dinner and then have my favorite dessert. Mine is peanut butter pie with a, with a, a cup of uh, black coffee. Oh, so good, so good. I can do that. I'm quite capable. I'm quite capable of eating the, the two servings, the two rounds, doing the, all the desserts and having a great time. However, it certainly won't be beneficial for me. I can speak from experience. It's not beneficial. You'll find me stuffed on the couch feeling like I'm going to explode. And I'm like, this is the worst, but it's also so good. You know, like it's like this a sweet, terrible, terrible experience. Another example, I can run out of the building right now. Okay, I can run out that way, hop the fence and go weave through cars on 465. I, sure, I can. I have the ability to do so. I have legs. I can get up. I can go. I may not be able to hop the fence, but I can try. <laughs> but it's not going to be beneficial for me. It's not going to be a good idea to go weave through cars on 465. That's what I'm talking about. Paul shows up preaching the freedom of Christ, saying, hey, Christ sets you free. And the church goes, whoo, cool. So you're saying, I can do whatever I want, and then the grace of God covers me? Sweet, like that's the best. Like this is the best gig ever. Coolest religion, Paul. Like you, you've got something, you got something cool. And Paul has to be like, whoa, 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 whoa. 
He's got to backtrack. He's got to say, like, that's not what I meant. It's not what I meant by freedom. And he had to do the same thing for the Romans. He says in Romans 6, verse 1, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. That's his version of heck no. Like, no, we shouldn't be doing that. You are free, but use that freedom to be like Jesus. Like, I do want to establish this morning, we have freedom. We have free will. I can stand up. I can sit down. I can walk this way. I can walk. I could do whatever it is that I want to do that I feel like I could do. But the follower of Jesus submits that freedom to Jesus. Paul himself, he says, Christ died that we could be free. God created us to be free. But give it over to the authority of Jesus. And we see an example of that in chapter 8. Skipping ahead. Be careful, however, here it is, that the exercise of your rights, or the exercise of your freedom, does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you, with all your knowledge, eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. And so in this situation here, people are like, oh, it's okay to eat the idol food. This is an example of one of the, the things that the Corinthians said, ah, it's fine, we can do that. We can eat food that's sacrificed to idol because I know that God is the only true God. So it's fine, right? It's okay. I'm not actually worshiping the idol. But Paul's like, hey, that's great and all, but not everybody knows that. Not everybody knows that you're walking in with that mindset. And so what they see is a Jesus follower walking into the idol temple to participate in the sacrificed food. That can't happen. Does that resonate with any of us this morning? Like, we love to be like, oh, it's okay to be in the world as long as we're not of the world. It's okay to, to indulge in everything the world has to offer as long as I don't just worship it. As long as I know in my head that God is the true king of kings. But let me ask you this. If people walk into our church and they see a community that's just like everyone else, then what does that tell them about Jesus? In my, in my mind, it tells them that either Jesus didn't have anything special to say, he had nothing exciting, nothing, nothing influential, or we do a really bad job displaying what it is that he said because we're just like everybody else. What is to bring them in here other than a life devoted to Jesus? And so, yes, we do have some freedom as human beings, but not everything is beneficial. Not everything should be done not just for your sake, but for the sake of others. When you make a choice, don't just ask, is this beneficial for me? But also ask, is this beneficial for the people around me? Paul is even like, I'll give up meat if that's what it takes. I love meat, but I'll give it up if that's what it takes. He continues on with his own example. He says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? I'm freaking Paul, like I'm the man. I'm the guy, I saw Jesus, I planted this church. He says, are you not the result of my work in the Lord? 
Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. Don't we, as apostles, have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas? They all had wives. Or is it only I and Barnabas who lack the right to not work for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink the milk? Do I say this merely on a human authority? No, no, no. The law says the same thing, for it is written in the law of Moses. Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. Is it about oxen that God is concerned in that law? No. Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us because whoever plows and threshes should be able to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. I love that line. We put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Paul says, I have the right to all these things. I, sh- I surely can do them. I'm Paul. But I gave them up. I gave them up so that I might not hinder the gospel for you. Because that was more important to me. The advance of the kingdom in you was more important than whatever rights or freedoms that I have. The way of Jesus is one that puts up with anything before it hinders the good news. Look at Jesus' unfair trial and his, his horrific torture and execution. Look at the persecution of the early church, people crucified, stoned, beaten. But Jesus says, put up with anything in hopes that they might see the light of God in you. There may be pain, you may suffer, but it's not about you. It's not about you. It's about the kingdom now. There is a higher authority. Think of others before yourself. You may have these rights, you may have freedom, but the heart of Jesus is not about doing whatever you want, but about doing whatever shows love. Doing not what you want, but what shows love. Can you sleep around and treat people poorly? Can you abuse drugs and alcohol? Can you hurt people? Can you eat and drink whatever you want? Can you lie, cheat, and steal? Can you go, 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 working yourself to the bone until you literally can't anymore? Sure, fill in the blank, you can do that. But not everything is beneficial. Not everything is beneficial for you or for others. You can do whatever it is that you want, but it's not the best idea. And it's certainly not within the way of Jesus. Paul continues, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, to men as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. All right, continuing on, to the weak, I became weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. And then he repeats himself. I love this. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. It is no longer about you if you are a follower of Jesus. It is about others. It's about the kingdom. 
And so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of who? Of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. I know this was a lot of scripture. We read a lot of stuff just now. So let's just unpack all this and make it practical for us today. Um, like if we, can't, if we can't take this outside, it's not going to do us much good. It's not going to do us much good to just sit here and say, yay, Paul. Um, let's, let's, let's unpack this. My mom, when I was growing up, she always said a phrase. She said, when you live in my house, you live by my rules. We all understand that. She says, you do this, you do this. You don't do this, you don't do this. One of those things, for example, like I had said before, I love, love Thanksgiving dinner, I love desserts. Okay, one of those things was, no, you can't have more ice cream, it's almost time for bed. No, you can't have more candy, you, or no, you've had enough soda for today. Like there are rules that she gets to decide that I, as the child, as the, the person living in the household under her provision, don't get to decide for myself, right? Kids, take notes, listen to your parents. Um, It's just, seriously, teenagers, just listen to your parents. Okay, um, sorry. Uh, you best believe, and teenagers, listen to this. Take this as my, my testimony to you. You best believe that when I got out of that house and I went to college, I had my fair share of ice cream, and I had my fair share of candy, more Mountain Dew than should be humanly acceptable, okay? But it was terrible. <laughs> it, was, it was awful. There was one time I drank like two liters in one sitting, and I like felt my insides burning a little bit. Like I just remember like laying on the floor. Just, uh, like, it was like, it was cool while it lasted. I was like, yeah, I can drink all the soda I want. And then after I was like, oh, that wasn't beneficial. You know, like, oh, Paul, you know. Um, so, <laughs> but I had freedom. I had freedom. I didn't have to play by someone else's rules, right? But guess what? I may have had freedom, but I made what most people call the freshman 15 turn into the freshman 30. Okay, I turned it around real quick. I walked out of that year not feeling too great. I was like, man, I just feel terrible. Like my stomach hurts all the time. Hmm, I wonder why. And now, because you know, hindsight's 2020, maybe those rules about dessert and about candy and about soda proportions were good. Maybe those were good rules. Thanks, mom. Uh, maybe those were good things. And I believe that in the same way, Paul is getting at a simple truth just like that. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are no longer in charge. God is. You live in God's kingdom. You live by God's rules. You don't do whatever you want or whatever makes you happy or whatever makes you secure anymore. You do what Jesus wants, what makes Jesus happy, what secures the kingdom of God. That now takes priority Early reformer and theologian John Calvin, he said, Oh, how greatly has the man advanced who has learned not to be his own, not to be governed by his own reason, but to surrender his mind to God, to give it up. Christians often use the title King of Kings or Lord of Lords to communicate the authority of God in Jesus over every ruler and every authority. We're like, yes, he's the king above all kings. And yet we still put his authority beneath our own. He's the king of kings, except this one. We're like, man, Jesus is great and authoritative, and I believe in all the things that he tells me to believe, but 
I don't want to live like, like this. I, I'll do some of this stuff, but I don't want to do this. I'll take these in, into my rule of life, but I won't do these things. But Portland-based pastor and author Tyler Staten paraphrased Jesus' teaching. He said, if you take my truth without participating in my way, you won't discover my life. We can believe all the things, but if we're not participating, if we are not actually a citizen of the kingdom, are we going to feel like we're in the kingdom? No, because we're, I'm living in the kingdom of Nick, not the kingdom of God. Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must what? They must deny themselves, deny their authority, and take up their cross and follow me. Jesus says that. Church, I think that after reading this, we need to take a good look at ourselves. Where's the gap? How might we be like the Corinthians? In what ways are we, even though we call ourselves followers of Jesus, still viewing ourselves as the ultimate authority rather than him? Dr. Stephen J. Lawson, a world-renowned preacher, author, and pastor, he, he called this a counterfeit conversion. Really bold language. In a counterfeit conversion, he says, there is no death to self, no submission to the lordship of Christ, no taking up a cross, no obedience in following Christ, no fruit of repentance, only empty words, shallow feelings, and barren religious activities. Sometimes I hear people say, like, why isn't God doing these things in my life? I'm a Christian, so why don't I feel better? Well, it might be because you're actually still living for yourself. You tried to get a quick fix. You tried to say, oh, oh, God's got me, so now I'm good. I'm going to continue on with my life as it was and just hope that it gets better. So why is submission so hard? Like, I, I just really want to address that. Why is submission so difficult for us to do? And I think there's two reasons. First is because I think we view it as antithetical to freedom. I think we, we look at submission and we're like, that's the opposite of freedom and we're supposed to be free. Like, we define freedom as being able to do whatever we want. Freedom, literally, if you look it up, you'll find liberty and autonomy in the sense of giving oneself one's own laws. I make the rules for myself. That's freedom. And so just like the Corinthians, we're like, wait, I thought I could be free. Paul, you, you said that, that Christ set us free. I thought I don't have to worry about what I do anymore. Why can't I just live my life the way that I want to? You promised freedom, but now you're giving me rules? Like, what kind of bait and switch scenario is that? Like, that doesn't make any sense. But that line of thinking couldn't be further from the heart and teachings of Jesus. If you read the scriptures, you'll actually find that God is a God of both and. You are free, and you're meant to live within boundaries. You are saved by faith and created for good works. You are saved by faith alone, but faith without works is dead. Both of those things are said in the scripture, and we see them, we're like, how are those compatible? But they're not incompatible thoughts. They can't be incompatible thoughts because God says both. I've said this long ago up here, but I think we really love Jesus as our Savior, but not as our Lord, and he's both. And we need to remind ourselves as people of God that he's both. 
We love believing in a Jesus that died on a tree for our sins, who rose from the dead so that we can raise from the dead too, but we miss the second part. We forget that God didn't stop there. The same God that set us free, the same Jesus who died for us said, come, follow me. That same Jesus said these words, my family are those who do the will of my father. That same Jesus will say to the one who doesn't follow him, I never knew you. Those words are in scripture. We can't argue that. God is a God of both and. And I think deep down we have this similar mindset as the Corinthians where if we just, if we do some of it, if we believe that Jesus did what he said he did if we, and, who he, and he was who he says he was, that we can still be our own authority and we can still do these things. We'll just pick and choose what we want to believe. We like Jesus as Savior, but not as Master. We like this, but not this. We like this law that Jesus gave, but not this one. Because that doesn't line up with my identity. That doesn't line up with what I believe. But we can't do that in the kingdom of God. Why? Because we are not the boss. God's the boss. God's the king. Like I said, following Jesus means saying, I don't do whatever I want, I do whatever Jesus wants. And what Jesus wants is for us to love by putting ourselves beneath everyone else. His boundary markers are love for God and love for neighbor. And so no, freedom and submission are not incompatible. Freedom is best used when in submission to God. That's the best way to use your freedom. And as we know, submission is only healthy in the context of freedom. Submission is only healthy if you don't make me do it, but I choose to do it. When we choose to give ourselves over to an authority outside of ourselves, submission in the context of freedom and freedom leading to submission. By doing that, we forfeit our right to self-authority by choosing to follow Jesus. We say, you're the master, you're the boss. I may not like everything that you have to say, some things may be awkward or inconvenient or challenging or uncomfortable, but I'm still going to try to do them. Why? Because you, the boss, my master, my Lord, my King, my father, my loving father, the good, good father that we sing about told me to. And so I am going to listen. Back then they didn't have like actual like maps or like they didn't have Google maps, uh, as you would know. Um, and so the, def the definition of a kingdom, like if I, let's say we're a little village over here and, and there's a kingdom that's way over there, like that's where the king lives. People know that I'm a part of that kingdom if we follow the rule of that king, right? And if we don't follow the rule of that king, then we're, just not, we're not part of that kingdom. We're just a, some little rinky-dink village that's outside the kingdom. But the king comes over here and he says, hey, are you under my rule? And we say, yes. And he's like, great, you're part of my kingdom. The same thing is here. When we make ourselves boss, we are choosing not to be a part of his kingdom. And I don't think it's as simple as like, oh, I made myself boss this morning and so now I'm out. I got, I got the boot. Like, I don't think that's the case. It's much more like, you know, moment by moment. Like in this moment, in the moment that I get mad at my wife and I blow up because I have a low patience, that's me choosing to live within my kingdom in that moment. And then 20 minutes later, I, I might choose kingdom and I might step into it and I might follow the spirit and I might say, oh, okay, I love this person. I'm going to show love to this person. That's me living into the kingdom of God. 
And so the encouragement is to give every small moment to the kingdom. And I know this is very different than what we are told by media and culture. Like, let's just be real about our specific context. Okay, can we just be frank for a moment? We live in America in 2023, right? Anyone can be anything. Anyone can do anything. There's no boundaries. Truth is subjective. Everyone is their own authority. And that's not, that's not a political statement. That's on the right and the left. You will find people that believe that very thing. I'm in charge. I choose what I want to believe. I choose what I want to do. And that's my truth, period. You got a problem with it? Well, freedom of speech. I can say whatever I want. You know what I mean? Like, like that's, that's what we live in. And that is how we and how America have defined freedom. You are your own authority. You can do whatever or be whoever you want to be. And so I think it's often hardest for us as Americans to fully submit to Jesus because the American concept of freedom that we have grown up with has been so romanticized and idolized of like, that's the pinnacle of what I want to be. The pinnacle of life, you know, like long ago, it was like, if I just know more things, then I'll have made it. But for us, it's like the more free and independent I can be, the better off I am. That's the lie that has been told to us. And so for us, this whole submission to Jesus thing is not very appealing. We're like giving up my authority, like my rights, giving up some freedoms. Why would I ever want to do that? Like that's the opposite. That's so contrary to the culture that we live in. But notice, even in America, with all of its freedom, it has limits. That vision of freedom that we think in our head is a lie. I don't know if you knew this, but we have laws here in America. <laughs> we have laws. You can do whatever you want to an extent. Like, you can't do this. Like, in order to live here in America and not go to jail, you have to abide by this set of rules. You can be free within this set of boundaries that we have made for you. Like, here's the coloring page. You can use any color, just stay within the lines. Like, that's the freedom that we're sold on, but that we've turned into like this, oh, I can do whatever I want. And so within our freedom, we give ourselves over to this outside authority. Jesus is exactly the same. He said, citizens of my kingdom, they live by a set of rules. And within those rules, there is freedom to be who you were created to be. See, there's just one difference between these two. It's that God created you. America didn't. God did. Your home didn't. God did. And so who should we accept as a good outside authority on how we should live but God, the one who made us? Look at... This is a guitar. I'm sure we all know what a guitar is, right? Let's just say that I didn't. Let's just say I picked this up. I had no idea what it was. And, and you told me it's an instrument. You make sounds with it. You make music. And I'd be like, okay, cool. Well, like, is, am I doing it right? I can do whatever I want. I can play this however I want to play it. I can hold it like this and just like, just hit it. I can do whatever I want. But no, if you, if you ask the person who made it, if you ask people who knew what it was, they would say, no, you can live within this set of boundaries playing it like this. And when you, when you do that, you can do whatever music you want to make. You are free within limits. And when you live within the design of the instrument, you will hear music. You will hear beautiful sounds. When you don't live within the design, ugly sounds. Gross sounds, sounds that aren't meant to be made by the guitar. Are you following me? 
Like we have a design and we have a designer. So why would we not listen to the designer on how to live? On how to make music? Just like an instrument, he designed you a certain way. And so when he says, hey, these things have consequences that you won't like, I know because I'm God and I created you, maybe we should take that sage wisdom and live by it. Like what makes us think that we're smarter than God? He's God, of course his way is better. Of course he's a better boss than you. Of course his rules are good and well-intended. Which brings me to my second reason that I think we struggle with submission, and that is our life experience with authority. Okay, it's not lost on me that many of us in here have had a bad experience with someone in authority, sometimes in an abusive, traumatic way. And to the person who's experienced that, I'm, I'm so deeply sorry that you have experienced that. And I can say that, that God is burdened by the abuse of power that you were victim to. I can say that, that that trauma, though a big part of your story, does not define who you are. And, and I can also say that we as a community and that me, even as a pastor, I, I, we want to come alongside you and help you through that journey of healing from that. And so for that person in the room, or even any of us who have had an even remotely negative experience with someone in authority over us, I think that that hurt has fed us a lie through fear. And that lie is that to some extent, the only person we can trust for our good is ourselves. We say, nobody knows me like I do. I'm the only one who really knows what I need. And so to that, I say, God is a good boss. You can trust him. God's rules are good rules because, because guess what? Nobody knows you like God knows you. And he's the only one who really knows what you need. And I know there's a lot of healing that has to take place for that kind of trust, but I would encourage you to trust. Start taking a step. Maybe we should look to his rules, trust that they are good ones, and within our freedom, order our life around those rules. What are the rules? Paul says it in our text, no one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Or as Jesus would say, love God, love your neighbor. Paul is saying, if any of your rights, if any of your freedoms get in the way of that, then they need to fall in line. I took a leadership class that um, it taught this thing called value ordering and how, you know, every organization, every group, they have to have a list of values, okay, of like, we believe this, we believe this, like, these are our values. And he, they said, that, oh, you should always rank them, always rank them so that if any come in combat with one another, one wins. You know which one takes, takes over. And they use the example of Disneyland. Um, and Disney World, and, and how Disney's values, their top one is safety. We have safety as our top priority, and right beneath that is, is keeping the story alive, the illusion alive, the, the, the fun, the smile, putting a smile on their faces. I would hope that if it were between the life and death situation of a child on a, on a roller coaster and keeping the story alive and the smile on everyone's faces, they would pick the safety because that's what puts smiles on people's faces. <laughs> And I think we need to do the same thing. If we want to build a culture that Jesus, our Savior, our good and wise and loving King would look at and say, that's my kingdom. That's what heaven looks like, a culture of submission to the King, to the reign of God. We need to order our values like that. Love God, love your neighbor needs to be at the very top. And anything that doesn't line up with that needs to get in line. 
Church, it's time to surrender and submit to the authority of God. It's time to acknowledge that following Jesus means living by a different set of rules, a different scorecard, a different everything. And when we do, when we live within our design, we will make beautiful music. So imagine with me, if you living within the boundaries you were made for, living wholly in your purpose as a human being in the kingdom of God, if you can make beautiful music and do beautiful things, how much more beautiful would it be if a whole community, a whole church of 200 people was all doing that? To actually put love at the top of the value list, just like Jesus, like a beautiful symphony, hundreds of instruments all playing the same song. And so here's my final question that I want you to walk away with and think about and do something with. This is the action step. Look at your values, your priorities. Every time you make a choice, really do some self-reflection and ask yourself if it lines up with God's authority. Does it love God and love my neighbor? Does it embody the fruit of the spirit? We have a podcast called Midweek Formation. It goes out every Wednesday. It's me and Luke literally talking about this stuff. The last several weeks, we've actually been talking about this exact thing. What does it mean to become a person of love who embodies the fruit of the Spirit? How do I do that in even the smallest day-to-day moments? How do I actually take what we learn here and bring it into my daily life? It's so important. And so that's my call to you. My plea, my invitation, my challenge, whatever you want to call it, look at yourself and your choices and your life and your values. Are they under the authority of Jesus or the authority of yourself? Are the authority of his way or yours? And whatever doesn't line up with him, whatever doesn't line up with love God, love my neighbor, doesn't belong. That's the call to the follower of Jesus. to live within the design, to partner with God and say, this is how I was created and so this is how I will live. And whatever doesn't line up with the way that God intended me to live, it's gotta go. Get rid of the junk. I can't stress enough how important this is for us people. Like I really hope that we take this forever and ever and ever. That every time I do something, if I like someone reacts a certain way, instead of just immediately lashing out, instead of immediately doing whatever it is I feel like I need to do, saying, does this, does this love God and love my neighbor? Is this beneficial for me and for those around me? Like what, what kind of picture does this paint of what Jesus is like? It's time to submit. It's time to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we just, it's time to submit, God. And we are ready to to step into your kingdom and your rules and your guidelines and your design, whatever that means for us, God. Even though it's difficult, we surrender. We give it over to you, Jesus. We give it all over to you. May we see the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.